Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who built and planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm very pleased to be here with you today. I come from the Massachusetts Council of Churches, and I give you greetings from Jack Johnson, the Executive Director, and Laura Everett, the Associate Director. I also bring you greetings from my home parish of St. John's in Worcester, and they are gracious enough to um, do the service without me. In fact, they're going to have a wonderful service because they do creative things when I'm not there. They also do creative things when I'm there. It's all about gardens, isn't it? Gardens and vineyards. Our whole faith walk from the beginning of the Bible to the end is these so many of these uh, major faith events happen in gardens and vineyards. Of course, it all starts in a garden, doesn't it? God says to Adam and Eve, here you are, a lovely garden to live in and take care of. Everything you need is here, and I will be here also. Just leave this one tree alone. Of course, we know what happens. They eat of the fruit, and then they are banished from the garden. Abram and Sarai are called out of the veritable garden in the area of the Tigris and Euphrates to settle in the area of Canaan. Joseph saves his family by becoming steward over the fertile farms and gardens of Egypt. 
400 years later, the Hebrew people find that their garden, their paradise, has become a prison as they have become enslaved by the Egyptians. And God calls them out of that place into the wilderness and eventually in back to Canaan. Jesus uses parables about gardens and vineyards to te teach his listeners. Today's rather harsh words are about a landowner who digs out a vineyard and tends it. And then he gives it over to tenants and goes off into a foreign country. And all he asks, all he asks of those tenants is that they give him a share of the produce every year. But being the people, they don't want to do that. They are wicked tenants. They are greedy tenants. And so, instead, when the owner sends his servants to collect the produce, they beat them, or ignore them, or stone them, or kill them. And then he says, I will send my son, and they kill him. And the, and the question is, to the hearers, and for this parable, the hearers are the temple authorities and the chief priests. What will the owner do to those wicked tenants? Now, the answer is given, the owner will take, kick out those tenants, and he will give the vineyard to other tenants. The parable, in, as Jesus is saying, is about God's relationship to God's people. At that time, that was the Jews. And how all God wanted from God's people was their praise and their thanksgiving and their love and tending the vineyard faithfully and producing good fruit. But the people didn't do that. And God sent his messengers, the prophets, to bring the people back into right relationship with God. But the people refused. And Jesus is foretelling his own death here. And he's telling this to the temple authorities, and they're not at all happy to hear about this. And he's saying, God's going to take his kingdom away from you Jews and give it to the Gentiles, those pagans. And that is a really awful thing for him to say. That's how this parable was used at the time. But it's also... We can hear this a different way in the beginning of the 21st century. Isn't this parable about how we treat God's garden, God's vineyard? Now we are also God's people grafted in to the Jews through Jesus. But we have not tended God's garden and God's vineyard well either. In fact, we have not only refused to submit ourselves to God's rule, I mean, we do and then we don't, and then we do and then we don't. But we have also trashed God's vineyard. We have. Global warming is an established fact, and the effects of global warming are experienced in every part of the globe today. Disappearing glaciers and polar ice Rising sea levels, dying coral reefs, extreme weather patterns. These are leading to species extinctions, catastrophic storms and floods, drought, disease, and suffering. 
and most especially among the poorest and most vulnerable of all of God's people. We have also despoiled God's garden through our pollution of it. Pollution that comes from the smokestacks and auto emissions, from the use of heavy metals and radioactive, radioactive materials, and from the 80 to 100,000 chemicals that have been invented and put into use since World War II. 80 to 100,000 chemicals, and we know the health effects of maybe 300 of these. These chemicals are in pesticides and herbicides, in cleaners and paints, in personal care products like shampoos and, and um, deodorants and toothpaste, in furniture and clothing and rugs and cars and appliances and electronics. Everything we use in our homes and our schools and our churches and our workplaces every day. And these chemicals pollute in the manufacture and they pollute in the use and they continue to pollute when we dispose of them. We have trashed God's garden. And I have to say that in the United States, we are the worst offenders in the world. Bar none. Oh, China's getting up there now. They're getting wealthier and they're buying all these cars and they're polluting. Yes at an ever-increasing rate. And actually, I think I've heard that now they're the world's number one polluters. But we, we have held that prized position for so long. And we still, if we're number two, we're right up there. Yes, we have trashed the vineyard, precisely because we have acted as those tenants in the parable. We have forgotten our place and our relationship. We have acted as if we are the owner and very irresponsible owners at that. We have forgotten God. We have forgotten that we are also part of the garden of the vineyard. And if we destroy the vineyard, we're destroying ourselves. We forgot to be thankful and gracious and loving and generous and worshipful. We forgot to use the vineyard for good and for God and to give back to God what God has given to us. We also forgot to take care of the other tenants who are using the garden. We have rejected and very loudly rejected the prophets who have come and said, no, don't do this. Cut down on consumption. Global warming is real. Stop polluting the Jimmy Carters and the Al Gores and all of the prophets who have been telling us this for decades. Now, what will God do to those wicked tenants? Will he give the vineyard over to other peoples? Aliens, maybe? Cockroaches? Interestingly, in Europe, there's this new groundswell, this new movement where people are trying to recreate community. They say, oh, yeah, we kind of lost something that was really precious to us. And they have this, this way of making intentional communities. 
And so, and they're actually, there are trainings that you can go to. So you learn how to take care of people and reach out to the vulnerable and work at things called justice and forgiveness. Interesting. And to do this in an environmentally sustainable way. Gosh, that's kind of like what the church should be doing. It's kind of things that we sort of know something about. It's like these people who probably aren't connected to the church are acting the way we should be acting. So maybe God is kind of giving it over to the people who are there, who we didn't think had it, but they, they do. But then this parable is not the end of the story because Jesus is telling this parable as he is in Jerusalem in the temple right before the end of the story and the end of the story comes in two other gardens the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is handed over to the authorities and betrayed and his very own friends his disciples desert him and deny him And the other garden is the garden where the tomb is, where Jesus' crucified body is laid. And it is that garden on a Sunday morning, according to the Gospel of John, that Mary encounters the resurrected Christ. And she mistakes him for a gardener. Isn't that interesting? The real gardener, the one who knows how to take care of the garden and the vineyard. But the message, the final message is not just condemnation, but resurrection. That no matter how bad we are, us wicked tenants, no matter if we kill God's own son and trash the vineyard, we are forgiven. We are given hope. We are given a new chance to do it right. To do it over again. It's too late to prevent global warming. It's too late to not pollute. But it's not too late to get together as the Christian people and as communities and people who care about God's planet And to reverse global warming. And to reduce our use of toxic products. And to get back and to take care of the vineyard which God has entrusted to us. What are we to do? We need to be educated. We need to know the extent of what we have done. So that we can repent to turn to God and again be reestablished as God's creatures. And God is God and we are not. We are to pray. If ever there was a time to pray, it's now. And the economic crisis in some ways is a good thing because it is going to reveal the extent to which our whole economic system has been based on a lie and on the backs of people who can least afford it. We need to pray. We need to pray for the opening of our eyes and hearts to God's will for us. We need to work together. 
within the church, with other churches, with other faith communities of other faiths, and with people outside. We can do this. At the Mass Council, we've been developing a curriculum for use among adults and youth called Healthy Kids, Healthy Churches, Healthy Communities. And it's one way of starting to learn about not only what the problem is, but what the solution is. And there are concrete steps about what we as church people can do to address the issue of toxic pollution and environmental justice. So I have left a copy with your associate rector, and I hope that some of you will use this. And there are a lot of other resources out there. You are already have all the people knowledge you need. Because you probably have medical people, and you have parents, and you have grandparents, and you have people who know something about the environment, and scientists, and you have people who are trained in um, biblical theological reflection. We need all of you to get together and talk and take action. We can find ways of using God's creation for God. Everything we have, we can use to build community and praise God and restore and heal relationships and our creation, God's creation. I'm going to end with one other garden image. When my twin daughters were about 18 months old, we found out that one of my daughter has severe food allergies. And the pediatrician said, in addition to other things that we were doing, we needed to try to feed her organic food as much as we could to reduce the burden on her body. So we joined an organic farm. And for a number of years, I was a working shareholder, which meant that every once a week I went out and worked in the, on the farm for four hours. And that way I got produce, wonderful produce. So I went out to Many Hands Organic Farm once a week and worked from 8 in the morning to 12. And this is a picture of the restorative image of God at work in God's garden. We were a number of people from all over. Julie, the owner, was not a Christian, but boy did she really get it about God's creation. And we had, as we worked, as we weeded, and as we harvested, we had wonderful conversations about the world and about politics and about religion and about our children and music and everything. We had arguments, we had conversations, and usually somewhere in the middle of the day she'd go and she'd get cookies and feed us all. And we worked and we rejoiced. And after a little while, I, when I'd go there, I would take off my shoes and I'd walk around in my bare feet in this wonderful soil. And even if I came with a real bad attitude or if I had worries just crowding down on me, by working with those people in that community and getting in touch with God's creation, my spirits were lifted. Now, if Julie can do this, and Julie's not a Christian and doesn't really know God, why can't we? We who know God, and we know that we are God's created and beloved people, why can't we connect to the earth 
and make community? Why can't we be a place of restoration and healing? Well, oh yes, on the, uh, while, the, while we're doing it, make wonderful, healthy food for people to eat and restore our bodies with good exercise, working the earth. Julie has recently taken on as a program some ex-convicts to work in her farm because she knows that these people, above all other people, are outcasts in our society and need a community to get reestablished to and learn some skills and find the healing value of being in communion with God's creation. And if she can do this, why can't we? How come some people outside the church are getting it and we're not? But the take-home message is we can get it. We are getting it. More and more churches and people are connecting to this. For the love of God. For the love of God's creation. And for the love of God's people. Let us pray. Most gracious God, you created us. You created the rest of creation. And you saw it and you affirmed that it is good. Even now, as we stand on the brink of catastrophe, you love not only your creation, but also your people. You call us into right relationship through Jesus, your Son. Right relationship with you, with each other, and your creation. Help us to heed your call. Light our hearts on fire with your spirit that we can be at the forefront of working for your creation and for the love of you. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.